Welcome to Keeping Up With Life, where we empower you with health, business and family life strategies for you to live your best days. I'm your host, Pippa Hansen. I'm the CEO, a mother of teenagers and have a passion to live an active and healthy life. Each episode contains practical tips and insights on how you can succeed in all aspects of your life, delivered to you in bite-sized pieces to implement straight away. This episode is brought to you by the Sports Injury Clinic, whose mission is to enhance the lives of its clients, staff, other professionals, and the greater community. Today, we welcome back Jamie Barnes, exercise physiologist. Jamie, you're becoming a bit of a regular on this show. Welcome back. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I hope your listeners aren't starting to get sick of my voice. No, that's not what we're hearing. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about recreational running. So so you've got some tips for us, some pitfalls, avoiding injuries, and um, I suppose how to stay injury-free and most importantly, enjoy your running. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this because I think um, this is something that a lot of people have picked up post-COVID or, you know, during lockdown, um, you know, to fill in a bit of time during the day and, you know, to get your one or two hours of exercise a day. I think a lot of people have taken up running and, you know, there's been some been some of those pitfalls that you're talking about that have come from that. So looking forward to, you know, talking about how, um, you know, how we can sort of look to prevent those and and maximise people's training. And I know that we've um, talked about the 2021 calendar of running and now Mm -hmm. that everything's sort of back on track, there's a very long list of events coming up that, you know, from absolute novice to experienced runner can participate in this year. Yeah, absolutely. We've got, um, you know, even as soon as Mother's Day, you know, we've got the Mother's Day Classic coming up, which I know is a popular one. Um, and even the week after that, the Great Ocean Road Festival um, Run Melbourne in in uh, late July as well. And then later on in the year, we've got Run for the Kids, which is normally around Easter, which has been pushed back to the 29th of August and then the Melbourne Marathon in the 10th of October. So, you know, a lot of these popular events have been, you know, sort of pushed back towards the end of the year. So I, I feel as though... Um, the next few months are going to become quite busy for people with their training, and I think it's a it's a good time to, um, you know, take stock a little bit and and um, you know make sure that you're ticking the right boxes as they sort of prepare for these events. Yeah, and so for these events, just before we sort of get started, what's the minimum distance some of these are? Really depends on the event. Um, the the run for the kids one is usually I haven't seen the exact course this year, but it's usually sort of around that fourteen to fifteen k mark. Yeah. Um, Melbourne Marathon forty two k is sort of all the way. Down, so yeah. I think they do ten. I'm not sure whether they do a five, but I know they do a ten. Um, there's a another one that I didn't mention before, which is a local one, is the Devil Bend um, Running Festival or Running um, uh, Fun Run in, in August, and I think that sort of is a has like the longer, maybe close to a half marathon as well as a, a shorter one as well. So there's a lot of them that offer that sort of ten. K sort of up to your half marathon and your full marathon. So there's a little bit of something there for everybody. Yeah, um, great. And, and most of those events tend to offer a 5K as well for people that may be a bit more suited to that distance or just getting into running. Yeah. And do you know if the Puff and Billy Fun runs back on this year? It is. It's um, It's been pushed back to later in the year. Off the top of my head, I think it's around August or September. Um, certainly something that I'm eyeing off myself as well. It's, yeah. it's one of my favourite runs on the calendar. Um, and, and we'll probably talk a little bit later on about how, how to prepare differently for an event like that because it is quite hilly whereas some of these other ones tend to have a bit more of a flat profile. So, um, yeah, certainly looking forward to the, the Puff and Billy run if it goes ahead. Yeah, it's such a beautiful run. Yeah, it really yeah, is. Yeah, for sure. All right. So what um, what can you share with us today? Uh, so there's, there's a number of things that we can tick off on, but I think probably the first thing to, to start with is um, 
getting a bit of an understanding of, of where you're at at the moment. So um, f- the things we talk about today are going to be aimed more at your sort of recreational runner, like your everyday person who, you know, works in nine to five and then goes for a run after work or, you know, has recently taken up running during COVID and wants to, for example, train for the Melbourne Marathon in, um, in October. Um, I think that when you're getting started with a program, we need to be careful with, with your starting point and make sure that we're not going from – too lower base to then increasing too much too soon. So um, that's going to change a little bit from person to person based on how much training experience they've had and and how much other exercise they've been doing within that time as well. So you know, for example, if you've if you've been a walker, um, you know, for a long time and you've done say you know one hour walks every night after work, there's there's potential to sort of start at a slightly higher base than someone who's done nothing. Um, but I think that's one thing that that people go wrong with right off the top is that they might go from doing nothing to then trying to run ten k's two or three times a week, and that's where we can start to see some of those overuse injuries creep in. So how do you figure out where you're at then? What's the best way? Yeah, I think um, this is this is going to sound quite typical coming from me, but I think uh, enlisting the support of a, you know an exercise physiologist or or somebody who's um, you know got the experience to help program you. Um, within a um, within the capacity that you're at at the time um, but certainly we start if you've got someone who maybe hasn't done much of this type of work before we might start with a, a run walk program or um, you know might be sort of spreading your load out across a number of days rather than sort of doing you know a big training session on one day but um, certainly what we'd look to do for someone who maybe hadn't done it all at all before is to start with some run walk intervals and then slowly build up from there rather than sort of getting straight into it and you know trying to run 5ks for example. And that's a really good point isn't it because run walk one it's safe uh, you're not overdoing it and it's achievable if you try and start out at a 5K straight away, you're almost setting yourself up to fail and if you're not ready for that distance and can almost turn you away from it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, that, and that's the thing. I mean, I think the one thing that um, goes over everything that we're, we're talking about today is that you, you'd need to do it because you enjoy doing it. So as you say, if you go out and, and you try a, really, a couple of really hard training sessions early in the piece and you find that you're not enjoying it and then that's that's sort of taking away, you know, the reason that you probably started. Um, so, you know, trying to, trying to dose it in a way that is suited to your capability at the time and then starting to kind of build up from there is, is a much safer approach but it's probably a more enjoyable one as well. Yeah, for sure. The small wins on the board. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> All right, so run-walk program, what else are we looking at? Um, so... As I said, we're looking to, to sort of build from there. So as um, as your running intervals become a little bit more consolidated, we can start to increase the running intervals and decrease the walking intervals to a point where we can start to do some consistent running and then start to look at building your mileage up from there. And that's probably the point where we need to start to consider how much we're increasing um, week on week. So we have a general rule of thumb of about a 10% increase in volume per week. Um, so... I feel like that's maybe another area where a lot of people tend to to fall down in is that they might increase their volume too much um, week on week, and when that happens, we can see those those uh, little niggles and, and overuse injuries start to pop up as well. So, um, if you are managing your own program, that's a good rule of thumb to go off is that ten percent per week, and then within that um, within those weekly increases, having what we call a deload week. So. Um, that's where we drop your volume by sort of anywhere between 30 and 50% um, and just give your body the chance to, for want of a better word, catch up on on that volume and sort of 
be able to adapt before we take that next step in terms of increasing your program. So give us an example of a 10% increase. So you've set someone, what, a run for what, 3Ks or 5Ks? What are you Yeah, of? I might go in terms of time because yeah, okay. I generally tend to program um, my running programs via time as yep. opposed to distance and that's just sort of my my own little thing that the body, the body uh, recognises time. It doesn't recognise distance. Um, so... With that in mind, um, someone who and I'm just going to pull 30 minutes out of nowhere because it's an easy number to, to work off, but say if you've been doing a 30-minute um, tempo session once or twice a week, we might look at then increasing that the following week to 33 minutes, um, and, and that's sort of an extra 10% off what you've been doing. And then the following week, that 33 then might become 36 minutes yep. and, then, and then building it up that way. Um, Another thing to consider is that it depends what type of event you're training for. So if your goal is to do um, 5Ks in under 30 minutes, so if one of these events that we spoke about before offered a 5K, um, it wouldn't make much sense to go much above 30 minutes in terms of a tempo run um, because that's uh, we're, we're sort of training over what, what you need. So that's sort of another thing to consider is that we might sort of start at, a say, a 20-minute, for example, and then kind of build up from there. So... Um, yeah. So with that kind of race, then what you'd be looking for is to increase the speed. Yeah, in that's that right. Time. Depending on the race that you're entering or the distance that you're wanting to cover, we what we do within your training varies a little bit more. Um, so I'm happy to go into that in a bit more detail now if you want to. Yeah, great. Yeah, so um, we've got a number of different training sessions that uh, that your everyday runner can can go through as well as your you know your experienced runners do as well. Um, the first one is a long slow distance run. Now this is generally that run during the week that isn't really a high effort run, but the the idea behind it is to try and build your engine a little bit. So um, what we're looking to do is to develop your VO two max, which is your maximal oxygen consumption, um, and this is tends to be sort of more. Um, that easier type run where we're just trying to get some some kilometres into the legs or some time into the legs rather than actually pushing as such. So um, that one we tend to do as more of an introductory introductory type um, type training session, um, and then we sort of tend to sort of phase that out and maybe phase some other things in the. the Later on, we get into into someone's program if they're a beginner. Um, a second training session is called a tempo session, which is the one that I used as an example before with that thirty minute um, runs, and they tend to be more at your at your race pace type intensity. Um, and what we're looking to do there is to develop our body's ability to resist fatigue. Um, so that sort of goes back to to sort of what you were saying before in terms of increasing. Um, increasing a little bit of speed but also as i say your body's ability to resist that fatigue especially you know sort of later in a race as we start to build up a bit of that um a bit of that burn that you feel in the legs um and then another session that we have as well as an interval session now that's another way at developing your vo2 max that maximal oxygen consumption but we do it in another uh, in another format, I guess. So what we're doing with interval sessions is we're looking at higher effort intervals um, and we're also looking at um, an equal rest period as well. So, for example, um, again, just pulling some numbers um, from nowhere, but one one program we might give someone is to do two minutes at a high intensity followed by a two-minute slow jog or walking recovery and just rinse and, re- rinse and repeat that for, for a period of time. Um, that's also looking to, as I say, increase your VO2 max because with those higher efforts, we're spending more time closer to your VO2 max than what we would during a long run. But what it's also doing is um, it's giving our body 
that stimulus of of running faster and sort of working harder. So we we tend to see some improvements in speed through those interval sessions as well. So and did you say there was a fourth one, or did you say? Uh, but there are some other things you can do as well, like um, like hill sessions, for example, are another one. Um, but so they're probably the three main ones that I tend to stick to when it comes to a generic program, and that might change a little bit, you know, when we're sort of um, dealing with more sort of individual circumstances and more specifics. But um, those are sort of the main three that I that I would sort of tend to to program. Um, so. Yeah, that, that's just sort of, I guess, a bit of a background on, on those three main training sessions and, and how much of those sessions work into a weekly plan will depend on the type of program that you're wanting to, to train or the type of run that you're wanting to train for. So if if you're running for that five, if you're training, sorry, for that 5K run or if your goal was to, you know, do a park run under 25 minutes or whatever it was, we'll probably do a little bit more of that tempo and interval work as opposed to that longer distance work because, you know, with your longer distance running, we're looking at greater periods of time but with lower intensity, whereas for a 5K run, we don't particularly need that as much. Um, there's still a place for it, but in terms of priorities, it, you know, there's a little bit of a shift there. Whereas if you're training for a marathon or if you want to complete a marathon but you don't have any time goals, you just want to be able to do it um, and say that you've been able to, to do it, then that's where we tend to see more of that long distance, lower intensity type work as opposed to any more of that um, that sort of higher intensity work as well. And we still will do some tempo work or some interval work within a marathon training program, but it just doesn't hold as much importance um, as what it would if for a shorter event. Yeah, fantastic. It really does this knowledge help people to be successful at what they're setting out for, isn't it? Yeah, and I think um, I think it's one of those things that if you are new to running, you, you sometimes don't know that this stuff is out there. Um, and, and a lot of people sort of tend to gravitate to, well, if I want to train for a 10K, um, I'm just going to go out one day and run 5Ks and see how I go, and then the next day I might try and run five and a half, and the next day I might try and run six. Um, whereas, you know, there's, there's probably – other ways we can get to the end goal that um, are more effective and um, and can also sort of reduce your risk of, of injury. Yeah, we did um, last week talk to Sam Davies on overuse injuries. Great podcast, so that was that one. Yeah, yeah, it was really insightful, mm-hmm. wasn't it? So it obviously goes hand in hand with with this running for the novice or the person starting out or the person that's wanting to increase their distance of, of what they've ever run before. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what else are we looking at for the recreational runner? Uh, I think another thing that's quite understated with recreational runners but with with runners in general is strength training. Um, And, you know, it's something that's seen to be – something that might be a little bit more more, um, suited to, you know, like your footballer or your netballer or, you know, field sport athletes. But um, because of the nature of of distance running – um, people sort of see that sort of lower intensity and, and sometimes associate that with not really needing that strength training stimulus, whereas where in actual fact it's, it's quite important, not only from an injury risk reduction perspective but also from a, a, a running economy perspective. And I, I might speak about those separately if that's okay. Yeah, great. Yeah, so injury risk reduction, um, as I touched on before, when we are running we're placing quite a high level of load on our muscles but also our tendons. Um and we need to be able to give our muscles and tendons the capacity to support what we're trying to do. So that's where strength training comes into it. Um, generally, for a strength training program for a runner, we look to gravitate towards that slow, heavy resistance training. So that might be you know, your, your higher load or your higher weight, lower rep um, type of training program compared to you know what others sort of 
visualize as a, as a running strength program, which is which people tend to visualize that sort of lower weight but higher rep work, which which makes sense in theory because you know we're running, which is a repetitive thing, so we we want to try and get that repetition in the gym. But in actual fact, um, that type of training won't give us the adaptation that we need to benefit our running. Our tendons in particular really like that slow, heavy resistance and our tendons are quite active, especially, um, you know, lower down the body, so your Achilles, um, for example, um, heavily involved in force absorption and then using that um, using that force to spring you into the next step. Um, so we, we really look to try and give someone that, that stimulus of that slow, heavy load um, to support our bodies in that way. Um, and then we're also within a strength training program, we're looking at your, your, what we call your compound movements of your lower body. So we're looking at, you know, squat variations, um, deadlift variations. And then we're also looking at, um, you know, building some strength through your, your quads, so the front of your thighs, as well as your, your calf muscles with your seated and your standing calf raises as well. So um, that's, a, I guess, a brief overview of what we what we like to see in a, in a strength training program for a runner. And... Not only are we looking to reduce the risk of injury by increasing our tissue capacity, we're also looking to improve someone's running economy. So when we say running economy, where where we can compare it to a car, if you fill your car with fuel, um, someone who gets 600 k's out of a tank, and then someone who gets 500 k's out of a tank um, with the same car and the same tank capacity um the person who can get 600k is obviously at an advantage it's coming at less cost and we we can relate that to our running with our energy consumption as well so um if we can if we can get someone to run the same distance and use less energy or if we can get someone to um run further with the same amount of energy then we're obviously at an advantage there as well so and so that's coming from the strength training from building up the muscles or the correct muscles yeah that's right so the research is showing that adding strength training to your program a couple of times a week for you know around 12 or more weeks can can improve running economy by two to eight percent so um that's uh that's a significant increase so you know, if we can if we can derive those benefits from adding strength training in once or twice a week, then um, I think it's something that everybody can benefit from, not just a not just a beginner, but yeah, you're more experienced athletes too. Yeah, fantastic. It's probably I think beginners maybe think that it's not for them, that it's more for the elite athlete, but really it is as you've just said, the injury prevention is yeah. and reduction is massive. Absolutely. And one of the most common things we hear from recreational runners is that, you know, I, I ran for ten years and it destroyed my knee joints. Well, there's every chance that it wouldn't have destroyed your knee joints if you were supporting your body with the strength that it needed to be able to do what you were asking of it. So um, I think I think, you know, that as an example is um is something that, you know, we need to keep in mind. And um yeah, if if for nothing else, just supporting um, your body and giving your tissue the capacity it needs to be able to do what you're asking of it. Mm, and learn longevity of your running ability. Yep, absolutely. Um, so the things that people need to look out for then, so we've, as I said, we've talked about overuse, but what are some of the, the signs that people either need to change their running program or change or introduce strength and training? Yep. Um, so probably the first one I'll touch on is those little niggles or axle pains. Um if they persist, you know, sometimes when you go for a run, it happens to me as well, you can go out and you can get like a little once-off um, 
ache or something and then the next time you go out it's fine and you never see it again. If you if you do get one of those niggles that become consistent and every time you go out for a run you get a little bit of soreness in your shin or your Achilles is a little bit stiff or whatever it may be, these aren't the sort of things that we want to let go. We, we need to address them at the time um, and people tend to be hesitant to do that because the fear is that they're going to be told by a physio that they need to stop running or they need to decrease their running. Um, where in reality, getting it checked early and knocking it on the head early is going to work out better for you in terms of your overall training than what it is to, to run hampered for two, three, four weeks and then get told that you have to decrease. So certainly the first thing I say to everybody is is don't ignore those little aches and pains. Get them get them looked at and if they're nothing, then that's great. At least you've heard on the side of caution. But if they are something, they're not those sort of things that you want to let manifest. Um, and, you know, it's, it's well worth getting it getting it looked at just for peace of mind more than anything else. Yeah. So you've talked about, obviously, the strength training. What about um, warm-ups? Yeah, warm-ups are, um, a, a, you know, something that's valuable to add in as well. And we, if we think about what, we, what we're expecting of the body, you know, we, we need, um, need the muscles to be warm. We need blood flow within the body. So um, it's certainly worth adding a warm-up element to what you're doing. Um that can that can come in in different forms for different runners. So some like to you know sort of do a maybe a light jog for five or ten minutes before they start with a little bit of um, dynamic stretching afterwards, which is um, which is completely fine. Um, but then you know for other people it might be you know doing that but getting on the foam roller at the start as well, um, which is also also great too. So it's a little bit of a an individual approach to that one, but I certainly think there's there's merit in in doing a warm up because going back to the car analogy, um, if you if you start your car in the middle of winter and you try and floor it straight away, um, you're not going to get much of an output from the car until it warms up. It's the same deal for your body. You're not going to, um, you're not going to be able to expect your body to fire on all cylinders if it's um, if it's not ready for it yet. So. I'm showing my age now, but I can remember my dad actually turning his car on and leaving <laughs> it to warm up before yep. he drove it off to work. Yeah, yep. after, <laughs> after spending five winters in Ballarat, I'm, um, I'm very used to that process as well, trust me. <laughs> um, what you, just sorry to stop you, what do you right. mean by dynamic stretching, just so people are aware of yeah, what that so is? Yeah, that, so that's um, another, another common area of discussion is your static versus your dynamic stretching. So static stretching is, is more of those um, uh, sort of holding um holding postures so it might be for example like a hamstring stretch where you reach down and you try and touch your toes or a calf stretch where you've got you know your hands against the wall and your back leg straight those stretches are okay after a run if you want to but before a run or before any sporting activity what we're finding in the research is that static stretching is actually resulting in a reduction a temporary reduction in strength and power of the muscle that's been stretched so we generally try and avoid static stretching before sport or before training dynamic stretching on the other hand is where we're um, actively working joints and muscles through their range and gradually building them into that range so for example um, you know a good uh, dynamic stretch for a runner might be some leg swings up against the wall so um, you know standing with one hand on the wall and you know kicking your leg backwards and forwards what we're doing is we're, we're building a little bit of mobility into your joints through working through that joint range um, but we're avoiding that static stimulus and we're consequently avoiding those um you know that that reduction in, in strength and power yeah fantastic so for some of these events we've talked about 
and I know everybody's going to be different, but what lead time, you know, someone's listening to this today and they think that's now achievable. You know, mm-hmm. if I can start with a, a run-walk program and I can build into this, how long does someone need to be able to complete an event? It really depends on your base and, and your level of training experience. So if you're someone who's been um, taking up running recently during COVID, during lockdown, and you want to train for the Melbourne Marathon in October, generally we look for those longer time frames if you haven't done it before. So we're looking at maybe a 12 to 16-week plan. I tend to say around 12 weeks is a rule of thumb, which is a rule of thumb for everybody. However, if you are someone who's got a more solid base of training and you haven't done an event in a while but you've just been, um, you know, keeping a, keeping things ticking over, you've got a relatively sound aerobic base um, and you just need more of that sort of fine-tuning leading into event into an event, you could possibly get away with a shorter program. Um, certainly not ideal, but the, the possibility exists to be able to prepare, you know, in that shorter period of time. But as a general rule of thumb, I tend to um, encourage people to, to undertake a 12-week program just to make sure that they're fully prepared. Yeah. And that allows for a couple of deload weeks. So I spoke about the deload weeks before where we reduce our training volume. I tend to do, um, I tend to periodize programs um, in a way where you build up your volume for three weeks and then you drop the volume back for one. So sort of like a, a monthly cycle. Um, and so a 12 week program, I guess, allows us to go through three training cycles before your event. And obviously, all these things and these recommendations are based on success and not being injured. Yes, exactly, exactly <laughs> right. On on that though, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind going through another one of those um, flags that we were talking about yeah. before, which um, and that pro- it probably feeds in well to talking about those um, um, periodized weeks or months. Um, another common one is overtraining with people. So one of the things that you said or that you touched on that could go wrong within a training program is is basically overdoing it, and that that's why at the start I, I sort of recommended being under the guidance of an exercise physiologist or, you know, an experienced running coach as well. But um, overtraining is where we're basically chronically giving the body too much of a workload for what it can tolerate. And that doesn't always manifest in the way of overuse injuries, but it can be um, lack of output. It can be generally fatigued from day to day. It can be becoming increasingly unwell. So sort of catching those sniffles, colds, flus, whatever, um, there's lack of sleep or, you know, the inability to get to sleep or stay asleep. So overtraining can present itself in a number of different ways, um, but it generally results, as I say, from from doing more than what your body can handle. Um, so that's where having those periodized um programs or those monthly training cycles comes in comes in handy because every three weeks or four weeks we're giving the body that opportunity to breathe and and, and catch up while still ticking those boxes. And it's not as if people are just doing a running program. There might be work or a parent yep. or volunteer. There's yep. lots of other things going on in their For life. For sure. And and absolutely they factor into to your overall so you know when when I'm sort of managing athletes, I put as much of an emphasis on their their day to day lives as 
their physical training because, you know, if you're a uni student who's got exams coming up and you're stressed for that, that's going to have an impact on your training. If you're um, if you're a parent who's got a nearly 12-month-old baby that's going through sleep regression at the moment, <laughs> not naming any names. from personal experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, those, those things as well can, can impact your physical um, or can impact your training and, and just impact your physical well-being and, and, you know, your mental well-being as well. So, you know, we need to consider all of those things and, and, you know, that does get factored in when I'm writing a running program for somebody, you know, if, if, they're, if they're working 40 or 50-hour weeks, then then how can we best fit running within, to that, within that as well? Yeah, and I know previously you've, um, on another episode, you've talked about food and um, sleep and stress and fluid. Yeah, yep. and it's important, to, it's important to get all of those things in check with this sort of stuff as well as, um, you know, just for your general general health and well-being. Yeah, it probably becomes more important if you're, if you're physically active and you're training for an event. Yeah, your yeah. body just needs that opportunity to to fuel itself and, and to replenish and relax. And understanding that it's actually okay to have a rest day. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, I, I think another common mistake I see with a lot of recreational runners is that they do something every single day and they don't give themselves that rest day, which is which is so important i think there's a general um there's a general lack of appreciation for rest and that's i I always say to people in the studio here or you know working with athletes or whatever it is but rest is where your body adapts to what you're doing um so if we're if we're constantly in the gym every day if we're constantly running every day we're not giving the body that opportunity to adapt um and that's certainly where the overtraining can can come into it as well so um yeah if, if there was another thing that the people would take out of this podcast it would be to schedule at least one rest day per week um into your training plan and that's that is a complete rest day that's not um okay i'm going to have a rest from running but i'm going to do gym a rest day needs to be a rest day away from all of that um all of that sort of stimulus so Walking would be okay on a rest day. Walking's okay because just because of the nature of it, it's, yeah. it's quite low level in terms of its um, aerobic demand. Um, I suppose as long as you're not going for a thirty k yeah, walk. Yeah, if you're, not, <laughs> if you're going for a thirty k walk, you might want to reconsider. <laughs> or if you're, you know, doing a if you're doing a big walk through another thousand steps or somewhere like that, that's a different yeah. story. But if you're going for a, a flat walk around the block for half an hour, or you're walking the dog or something, you know, yeah. that, that's that's fine. That you know, we can. We um we call that active recovery, um and that you know can can work into your rest day as well. Yep, and your incidental activity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, it's not just lying on the couch all day binging. Netflix. No, no, don't take that. Don't take that as a uh, yeah. Don't don't speak to your significant other and say that the, the podcast told you you have to you know watch six hours of TV or something like that. Oh, fantastic. All right, so if someone wants to get started running, uh, give us the, or they want to increase their running. So what are we looking at? We're looking at knowing where they're at. Yep. Um, setting a realistic time frame and program. Yep. So if you if they want to run forty two k's, it's probably not going to happen next week. Yep. Um, and being aware of their overuse and niggles. Yep. Is there anything else that's a real takeaway from today? Uh, yeah, I think I think you've touched on the main things there. But yeah, I, I think it's. And again, this is just something that I just say so often to people: is just listen to your body. Um, if something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. Get it checked out. Um, if you're feeling lethargic day on day and that's unusual for you, then that might mean that you're overtraining. It's it, your body is wonderful at telling you what it needs, or generally just telling you that something's wrong. So don't ignore it. Um, as I said earlier on, I think people do ignore those warning signs 
for fear of missing out on some training and it, it just impacts them more negatively in the long run. So, um, yeah. And I, and I, I really like this is going to sound biased given I'm, a, I'm an ex-phys here at the clinic, but I, I really, really do advocate for people having some guidance when it comes to planning their training program, whether that's with a, with an ex-phys or whether that's with a coach. Um, yeah, I, I just see too many, too many people doing too much volume or not enough volume or um, not managing injuries properly or not doing strength training, a lot of those sort of things. Um, and, you know, in contrast, I've seen a lot of good to come out of, you know, working with someone who, who knows what they're doing and, and can help you maximise, you know, what you're trying to do. And I think if someone's setting that goal, it is really satisfying when you reach it because there are a lot of people that say, oh, I can't run, yep. I'm not a runner, I can't run. But it, they can start really low-key and achieve yep. such great things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And especially if you've got no, you know, if, you, if you're just starting running now and you've got no time frames, like you're not training for anything particularly, you just want to be able to do it, it gives you the ability to take your time a little bit more and to, to build that up and probably make it more enjoyable in the process. You know, there's not that pressure of having to meet a deadline. Um you can just go out and do it for the sake of wanting to do it. So, um, yeah, completely agree. And from personal experience, that was one of the positives of last year. There was so much time to actually yep. do it slow and steady and um, and I did do some training uh, with you and, and had that goal of doing a half marathon and had my own race day against myself and it was fantastic. It was yep. a really – it felt like a really great achievement. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I definitely couldn't have done it without the strength training. And I'm a bit older than, you know, these uni students. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, I know that you commented at different times to say that you felt stronger while you yeah. were doing it as well. And, you know, it, it's the, the proof's in the pudding. Yeah, yeah, no, really good. So anyone out there that's contemplating, you know, starting out or you've only been, not only, but you're a 5K runner and you want to increase your kilometres, you know, this is a great podcast to, um, and some really good tips from Jamie today. So thank you very much for your knowledge, um, absolute uh, wealth of knowledge in your field. So thanks again for being on today's show. No worries. Thanks for inviting me back. If you have a topic you would like covered, get in touch via our socials. The contact details can be found in the episode notes. If you have loved listening today and are looking forward to future episodes, please subscribe, rate our show, share our podcast with your friends, work colleagues and families. So for now, goodbye. Thank you for tuning in today and see you next week.